And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Hi, Dan. It's good to be with you. Kevin, it's great to have you here. A couple times ago on A Plain Answer, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, We talked about him uh, around the time of Pentecost, and then we had a follow-up discussion about, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. But we have not exhausted the topic of the Holy Spirit. And today on A Plain Answer, we want to talk more about um, what does a Spirit-filled life look like, and also maybe um, how how He guides us, in particular in making decisions in life, and how His work ties in with His using the Word of God in our hearts. So um, to get us started today, uh, Kevin, I'm wondering if you could uh, would share with myself and the listeners... Uh, your understanding of um, what what does a spirit-filled life look like for the Christian? That's an excellent question, Dan. When, when I uh, think of that question, the passage that always comes to my mind as the central and I think decisive and controlling passage, uh, there's an awful lot of things in Scripture about the Spirit and about what the Spirit does and, and the Spirit's impact on our lives and spiritual gifts and the like. But I do think the central controlling passage is probably Romans 8, which, which begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And mm. so it goes on, and Paul goes on to talk about you know, what the law couldn't do, God has done by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As a sin offering, he condemns sin in the flesh. So walking in the Spirit is something that rests on the foundation of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And it's for justified people, people acquitted, people declared to be righteous. And so we must set life in the Spirit, what we would call uh, sanctification, being transformed, transfigured into the glorious image of Christ. We must set that on this foundation uh, of justification as something which flows from the atoning work of Christ so that it doesn't become you know, legalism or some sort of rule-based, performance-based thing. That's first and mm-hmm. foremost and probably bedrock. But when we actually get to the question of what does it look like, Paul says that God sent his Son uh, to condemn sin in the flesh, to be a sin offering, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. (laughs) So here we have, I think, the crux of the matter, that... Living and walking in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, or according to the Spirit, is living in such a way that we're obedient. It comes right down to that, that the righteous requirement of the law is actually fulfilled in us. Not so that we might be justified, but so that we can actually have communion with God and be fruitful and be sanctified. So, walking in the Spirit is set here over against in antithesis to walking in the flesh. And walking in the Spirit is how God's requirements are actually wrought or fulfilled in us. And so, Paul goes on to say, if you live according to the flesh, you set your minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So there are, there are, if you will, two realms here. There's the realm of the flesh, which is the fallen human nature, 
It's tied to this present evil age. And there's the realm of the spirit. And that spirit is the spirit which raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the spirit that the risen Christ pours out on the church. And to walk in that spirit is to take your mind and set it on the things of God, on the things of the spirit, and to turn it from the fallen evil age so that, so that, God's law, God's commandments can be obeyed in you. So what the Spirit does then is he comes to empower us for this life. This is central and must always be kept at the center of any Christian discussion of life in the Spirit. Um, Discussions which often too quickly um, get taken up with other peripheral aspects of the Spirit and Scripture, and they miss this central feature. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for the Christian, the cart comes after the horse, as it were, the the first step is is knowing that our sins have been forgiven use the word justification having that as the foundation upon which is built god the holy spirit now working in my heart and life and conforming me to the image of christ and we have a the, what we call the moral law of god uh the, That's right. the the 10 commandments and so we we will want, not just have to, but we will want to live out the life of Christ, which, which would be consistency with his laws. Is that pretty much it? That's right. And you see that, for example, in, uh, in Hebrews 8, which cites Jeremiah 30, 31, about the new covenant. In the new covenant, God, by the power of the Spirit, takes his law and he writes it into our heart and into our minds so that we delight in it and obey it. And so... When we talk about the, the, the coming of the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit does not come to bring us additional revelation or new information or sort of you know, special sidelight insights into things that are not in Scripture. The Spirit comes so that He unites us to Christ in living communion, so that we can obey Christ, and so that the righteous requirements of the law, the moral law here, mm-hmm. of course, the, 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 there's other aspects of the law, which we clearly don't keep because they're ceremonial and they've been fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. Sure. Um, but as you said, summarized in the Ten Commandments, those righteous requirements are inscribed into our being and we delight to obey God. And so the Spirit comes to give us fellowship, communion with Jesus Christ so that we can be obedient children. That's the heart and soul of what the power of the Spirit does in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Now, as I recall, there's a scripture, I think it may be here in Romans 8, where it says that if you have not the Spirit of God, uh, you, you can't belong to him. Uh, yeah. Oh, here it is. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so um, that scripture speaks that um, any person that's born again of the Spirit of God, that's, that's a Christian, that's a believer in Christ, has the Holy Spirit, Correct. That's right. There, there, there are no Christians without the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, as a careful reading of Romans 8 would, and, and frankly, virtually all the New Testament would mm-hmm. indicate. So when, when Paul uh, says um, what he says about walking in the Spirit, putting your mind on the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh, just prior to the verse you decided, he says, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Flesh and spirit are two antithetical warring domains for, in, in, in the New Testament, especially in the Apostle Paul. And so 
a Christian or any person for that matter is either in one domain or the other, and this is this is really really worth clarifying. Paul goes on in the next verse and says, "You, however, you Christians are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Right. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Him." Paul does not envision you as living one minute in the flesh, the next minute in the spirit. Christians are in the spirit. Now they can behave as if. They're in the flesh, or they can be fleshly or flesh-like, mm. right? But they are in the Spirit. He flat out says it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell in you, then you don't belong in Christ, and you're in the flesh. So since we are in the Spirit, he'll go on to say, we're debtors then not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit the spirit that we are in, the spirit that we possess in Christ, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's a wonderful summary phrase of what the Holy Spirit does in the Christian life. Mm. The Holy Spirit comes as power. It comes as um, piercing every particle of the carnal life in us. It, it comes warring. Remember uh, in Galatians 5, Paul can say, the flesh wars against the spirit, but the spirit wars against the flesh too. The Spirit comes as the warrior God, and by that Spirit we execute, we put to death the deeds of the body, our corrupt, fallen human natures, and thus we live. And so, in the very next verse there in Romans 8, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. It means to be in Christ Jesus, to have the Spirit of Christ, to walk in that spirit with our mind set on the things of the spirit and by the power of that spirit put to death the deeds of the body so that we obey Christ. These, these are the characteristics of all true Christians. And thus all Christians are filled with the spirit and all obedient Christians are being led by the spirit of God as sons of God. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, hold that thought. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit here on A Plain Answer. My guest is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Oh, let it freely burn. 
To dust and ashes in its heat consuming And let thy glorious light Shine ever on my sight And clothe me round the while my path And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Good to be here, Dan. It's a wonderful discussion, Kevin, today. We're talking about living by the Spirit. Ordinarily, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be inclined to, you know, go to different portions of Scripture. And you've um, brought to our attention Romans 8 today. And um, maybe just uh, recount where we're at here for the listeners And why is this such an important piece of Scripture? Well, I guess in summary of what we said so far, because we're justified in Jesus, um, God sent his Son so that his law, as promised in in the ancient prophet Jeremiah, his law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, which is a realm here for Paul, it's the whole realm, the whole fallen order, but according to the Spirit, that is, who walk in the power of the age to come, in, in the light of the, of the Spirit of the risen Christ. Um, and then Paul goes on to say, you know, you can either set your mind on the things of the flesh, the things of this fallen world order, or the things of the Spirit, and they're completely antithetical. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. And he clarifies and says, you Christians, by the way, are in the Spirit. Now, you might sometimes behave as if you're in the flesh, but you are, in fact, in the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God. And, um, and therefore... You know, you're a debtor not to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. And then he says, and here's how you do this, or at least this is part of his practical advice, is by the Spirit you put to death the deed of the body, you will live. And he concludes by saying, all who are led by the Spirit of God, and here being led by the Spirit of God means simply taking up your cross, denying yourself, and obediently following Jesus in the, in the power of the Spirit. Hmm. All who do that are sons of God. So there aren't two types of Christians, Christians with the Spirit and Christians without, because there can't be two types of sons. There's no two-tiered system here. Uh, what, what Paul has in view in Romans 8 is the, the heritage and the privilege and the joy and the duty of all Christians. Mm. All Christians, according to 1 Corinthians 12, have been baptized into the Spirit, and we've all been made to drink of one Spirit. Mm. This does a lot towards uh, unifying the body of Christ and not pitting one group against another, it seems. Yes, because the Spirit is, in fact, the bond of unity, Yeah, um, the bond of, of communion mm. in the body of Christ. What I like about your, what you're saying also is that we see here a, a harmony of the Spirit-filled life um, with the moral law of God. And it's not one against the other, but, but now, because we're filled with the Spirit, we want to obey God's moral laws. That's right, and, and we mentioned that Jeremiah prophesied that the law will be placed into our hearts. Yeah. Hebrews picks up. Even Ezekiel talks about being washed with pure water and, and, and having God's statutes uh, within us so that we desire to please mm. him and walk. So in Ezekiel, there's this connection between the ministry of the Spirit and the keeping of the law. And that brings us to a fundamental theme, I think, is the Spirit can never be separated from the Word. Uh, if you, say, if you just have the Word without the Spirit, you sort of have a dry, dusty, dull yes. intellectualism. If you have the Spirit, whatever this would mean, cut off from the Word, you can often get um, aberrant 
um, abuses and mysticism and even fanaticism, and you can get um, heretical Mm -hmm. uh, things under the guise of the inspiration of the Spirit. And the Church has been full of both sorts of abuses. The key is to see that the Spirit comes, and what the Spirit brings to us is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the Spirit of Christ. If if the Spirit dwells in your heart, Ephesians 3 says, that means Christ dwells in your Mm. heart. The Spirit doesn't do anything to us except mediate to us the risen and ascended Christ. And Christ, as risen and ascended, pours out or mediates to us the Spirit. They, they mutually mediate one another to us. So the Spirit is, is... I like to think of the Spirit as a transparent person. In a sense, the Spirit draws no attention to himself. Mm-hmm. He effaces himself. And, and unites us to Christ and points us to Christ, takes from Christ and gives, gives what's Christ to ours, and, and lets us see through him so that we can see Christ in all his glory. And Christ is the incarnate word of God. The Spirit leads us to the incarnate word, and walking in the Spirit means we're going to need the help of the, the word that has been given to us in Holy Scripture. Mm. So again, we never separate the Spirit from Christ and that means we can never separate the scripture, uh, the, the Holy Scriptures, from the Spirit either. Mm. Now, um, already we're getting short on time. I, I, I would like to direct our discussion now towards um, the Spirit using the Word to guide us in life decisions, not just minor ones, but even major ones. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to share a story out of school, or whatever you call it. Um, I've known you, Kevin, for quite some time. I think we first crossed paths back in 1988 or something like that. And um, you worked for a corporation. I was working for the same corporation. We were both engineers. Um, Quite frankly, you were a better engineer than I was. And uh, I got to know you. Uh, At that time, you loved the Lord, and we would talk about the things of the Lord together. Um, But then, over time, and I don't think it happened overnight, really, God led you to a different line of work. And, and, you know, if you feel comfortable, could you share with our listeners, what was it like? I mean, going through, here you are, an engineer in a major corporation, you're doing extremely well, reached a senior level, all that, and you left all that and became a minister of word and sacrament. Help, Help us understand what that was like. Okay. Um, I think, you know, it was a long, drawn-out process, as you know. Um, and, and the way it relates to the discussion before us here, I, I guess, would be as follows. Um, if we are right in the fundamental things we said about uh, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being in the Spirit, uh, being sons of God... Um, Now, again, we haven't said everything or even close to everything there is to say about life in the Spirit, but I do think we've we've touched a central vital nerve of what it means to walk in the Spirit. And so that meant I was formed by these sorts of texts and reflections in such a way as I wasn't looking for a voice, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. or or a hunch, or a dream, or a vision, or some sort of audible word, or something outside of Scripture to say, Kevin, look, it's time for you to go into the ministry. If you're formed by what we've just said about the Spirit, there's a number of things which shape the way you try and look for guidance. Uh, obviously, you have to abide by the general principles and rules of the, wor- of the Word, right? And uh, so, therefore, you know, you're not directed into overtly sinful paths. Sure. But 
the scriptures also tell us that the Lord gives us desires and He forms us. And I, I came to desire and to and to aspire to the the ministry of the gospel. And you look in the scripture and you see that that's a noble and honorable thing. And you you pray for God's providence and for His timing because the Lord tells us to pray for wisdom. So throughout this process, which I did very imperfectly, I'm I'm just sort of summarizing it in a sort of ideal way. Mm-hmm. There's a word and spirit interaction at every point. But it never becomes just, you know, this Bible verse said this to me, therefore I went and did it. Okay. Or the Holy Spirit said this to me, therefore I went and did it, right? It's a, it's a joining together of saying, well, how, do, how do my gifts fit and my, my sense of personal calling fit with the Word? And what else does the Word tell me about how God calls ministers? Well, that's, that's crucial here, right? So the Word tells me that God calls ministers by giving them gifts, but those gifts tend to be uh, confirmed and approved and recognized by congregations, by other Christians, by wise Christians in the Lord, right. by the broader body of, of, of the Church. And so I tended to seek counsel and affirmation from the local Church, from the leadership in that Church, and from the broader leadership in the body of Christ in, in the denomination that I was in, the, the Presbyterian Church in America, the broader body of, of, of elders and, and pastors that we call a presbytery. So it, it comes down to basically, you know, you, you have a personal sense of a certain thing, it's in accordance with the Word, and you have the affirmation from the Church as a whole, and then you have the providential ability to wisely do it, you know, with regard to your family. So in all of that, that's being led by and guided by and empowered by the Spirit, but it's not walking around saying, the Spirit told me this, mm-hmm. or reading a Bible verse as if um, the Bible verse is a direct word to you which tells you to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the, we have to read the Bible in its original context, realizing that God will help us wisely apply it to our lives. With your background, though, you know, here you were, frankly, you were paid well, and you didn't know what you were going into quite yet, and there must have been some fear or concern. You know, your wife, uh, how did she feel uh, without sharing things you're not supposed to share, but uh, how did your wife handle this uh, uh, new direction? Oh, she was very supportive. Um, I suppose there may have been some apprehension, as I had, too, about, you know, leaving a a relatively comfortable and secure job. Mm -hmm. But she was very supportive and saw um, providentially the timing and the doors open up. Yes. And also saw a call from a church. You know, when a congregation says, look, we'd like you to come be our pastor, you have to take seriously that that could be the Lord's voice calling you. And, And that's a scriptural thing. So you're anchored in the scripture, but you're also, your eyes are open, your ears are open, and you're, you're listening for, looking for God's providential guidance and in his hand in the situation, which I think is, is, roughly speaking, what it means to try and wrestle with this question of guidance and hearing God's voice and, and walking with the Lord in such a way that respects the, the sufficiency, the finality, the complete authority of scripture, and the fact that we do have the Holy Spirit with us as a comforter to guide. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But remember, the Holy Spirit is not coming to us to give us little secret, private, personal information. He comes to show us Jesus Christ, to help us be conformed to his image, and to guide us in, way, in, in ways that are wise and in general accordance with the Word. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's always uh, beneficial uh, to his church as a corporate body. Yes, and, and I think the final thing to, to maybe say here is, 
there are three things that, at least the churches that stem from the Reformation, but even, even before that, um, the medieval church and the ancient church would recognize as what we call means of grace. How, how do we um, grow in grace, access the grace of God, um, and, and thus walk in the Spirit? And there, there are three simple basic things. Uh, they're the bread and butter of the Christian life, and we always have to go back to them when we talk about walking in the Spirit. And they are the Word. We have to hear. We have to ha- have good preaching, good teaching, because the Word um, uh, was given to us by the Holy Scripture, and the preached Word is the primary and central way that Christ addresses us in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. The sacraments are also an ordinary means by which God gives grace to His people, and prayer. Prayer and the fellowship of the saints, if you will, around prayer. Those are the things which we need to to do and give ourselves to, and if we do those things, we'll be walking in the Spirit, and God will guide and lead us in paths of righteousness. You know, I I feel bad that we're out of time already, because this is just a wonderfully interesting discussion today. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been talking about living by the Spirit of God, and what does a Spirit-filled life look like? We've talked about the um, really antithesis between the flesh and spirit. Uh, We've talked about the harmony of the moral law of God with the spirit-filled life, and then we even got into uh, talking about your own personal experience in being led by God's Word and Spirit um, to uh, become a a minister of Word and Sacrament. So um, I want to encourage our listeners, if you want to hear this uh, broadcast again, it is up on our website Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Just look under the tab, Resources. And um, if you have a question for Pastor Sherritt, you may use our email address here at the station, and we'll forward that uh, to Kevin. That address is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Kevin, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder, please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. And so the yearning strong With which the soul will long Shall far outpass the power of human death can guess its grace till he become the place wherein the Holy Spirit makes his dwell